So, uh, so in high school, I stopped by the book table at a Christian conference, and um, it was full of all the hottest, most churchy books that you would expect. Um, books like uh, Bad Girls of the Bible, um, The Really Bad Girls of the Bible, The Slightly Bad Girls of the Bible, and of course, The Bad Girls of the Bible Workbook, in case you want to learn how to be one uh, yourself. <laughs> These are actually good books, I'm just kidding. But I saw one book out of the corner of my eye on those tables that stood out amongst all those bad girls and guys' books, and it had an even stranger title, if that is even possible. It was called Celebration of Discipline by this Quaker author named Richard Foster. And I did a double cake. I was like, what? Celebration of what? Because I was 17 years old, and I did not have discipline. Uh, I did not like discipline. Did not like to be disciplined. And I thought, why in the world would you celebrate discipline? That makes no sense. And so, of course, I bought it. Um, because, one, like, even if it was terrible, it would be fun to carry around to class, ironically, and just have celebration of discipline on the top of my textbooks. But that night, I opened this book. And the first line of the first page just kind of woke me up where I was. And it said this I can still quote it superficiality is the curse of our age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. And it went on, the, the classic disciplines of the spiritual life call us to move beyond surface living into the depths. They urge us to be an answer to a hollow world, to live and love deeply, to dwell creatively in a place where we can go deep with ourselves, with our God, and with our neighbor. And I thought, okay, that sounds cool enough, I guess. And then the author quoted this verse from the Bible that I'd, I'd never heard before, but I instantly just got. It's from Psalm 42.7, that psalm that, Crystal, that Jacqueline read for us. And it said this, deep calls to deep. That in some way, the deepest part of us calls out to something deep, in this life. And it made sense to me because it does. Maybe you felt that too. Like somewhere in the deepest chambers of your life, you've heard that call to deeper, fuller living. You're weary of frothy existence and, and shallow experience. And they've seen little glimpses and hints of something so much more. And inwardly, we long to launch out into the deep of life, to live with a palate of rich color in a world that is so often black and white. So I began to realize that the celebration of discipline wasn't talking about waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning and doing crunches, although if, that, if you're into that, like that's worth celebrating. Um, while you're up, do some for the rest of us, all right? Um, now this book was talking about the ancient disciplines of the spiritual life, like meditation and prayer and solitude and study and worship and celebration. And in its pages, I not only encountered the concepts and the disciplines and the biblical and scientific kind of foundations of these, but also a rich heritage of women and men throughout history in every part of the world who'd pursued the art of spirituality. Not art for art's sake, but, but for the sake of living lives of deeper love and purpose. And I, I kind of fell in love with it. Because all of a sudden for me, as I opened this book and began to, to read a little bit about it, faith wasn't just black and white, but it was this beautiful, colorful, creative journey 
It wasn't about painting by numbers, but instead opening myself up to this rich palette of spirituality that invited me to be a creative part of my own story and a greater story, and perhaps even encountering something deeper than myself along the way and being shaped and transformed by it. See, Jesus' invitation to faith, when he laid it out for the people around him, he wasn't inviting them to simply say true or false to a list of intellectual propositions. He was inviting them to encounter something deep. His invitation was, was follow, seek, listen, know, and be known. Because he knew that faith grows through encounter, that we grow through encounter. And in some ways, the disciplines of spirituality, like prayer and meditation and study and silence, are a path to encounter that begin to make us new, to be even more who we were built to be in the depth of our spirits and in the truth of who we are. And we don't need to be faith giants or theological experts or even like a bad girl of the Bible to be able to practice these ancient disciplines of the faith. We just need to be open to encounter. And so even people who aren't sure what they think exactly about the whole God and, and Jesus thing can and should practice these as well because the primary requirement, this invitation from God, is simply a longing after God. As Jacqueline read from Psalm 42, my heart longs for flowing streams, my, so longs my soul for thee, O God, my soul thirsts for thee, for God, for the living God, it says. This requirement is a soul whose deep calls out to deep, to, to tap into that thirst in us, that part of us that seeks encounter with a God who's reaching out for us. So some of you have your own story of, of discovering these practices in a way that's very similar. Many of you I know are like way farther along than I am in the practice of this, but for all of us, no matter where we are on our journey, no matter how long we've been at it, we're all beginning from the same place. We're always seekers and we're always beginners on this journey. And uh, over this Lent series, we'll look to experts and, and we'll want to be those along the way too. But as the great Christian contemplative expert Thomas Burton said, he said, let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all of our life. And so we can come with a heart of experimentation and realize that these practices are really a practice. They're a way of seeking and trying. And there actually is try, despite what Yoda says to us. So no fear. We can go into this from wherever we are and begin on this journey. And so some of you I know are super excited. Uh, you already know, you know how this could be helpful to you. Others of you are thinking, oh great, awesome, a whole series um, that's telling me to pray more and do more and read more, like the Chick-fil-A eat more chicken <laughs> version of spirituality. And I appreciate that perspective. Thank you for that, um, because this is so important to realize that the end goal in this is not prayer itself. The goal is to live in deeper connection with God, with others, and with ourselves. And prayer is just a tool to get us there. And so if you try one of these things and it's helpful for you, that's awesome. But even more awesome is when that help calls you deeper experience of God's love in your own life, that you're able to live and love more deeply. Whatever means get you there. And so that's why we called this series Palette, because these are, are kind of colors to add to your creative life. But the goal of art is not to get more paint on the palette, right? 
The goal of art is to create something beautiful on the canvas or in our world. And having the right palette can help us get there. But the palette doesn't produce creativity. It only gives us the tools in which creativity can occur. And so the tools are simply ways to be intentional about placing ourselves before the God who creates and gives growth. But man, what incredible, creative, life-giving stuff that intentional choice to put ourselves before God can bring. Because God is a creative God who invites us to love and live deeply and creatively from the depth of our spirit and the truth of who we are. And we are most ourselves. We are most creative, most part of that new making, everything changing way of divine love when we're deeply connected to God, deeply connected and mindful of others, deeply rooted in ourselves. And the ancient disciplines can be tools in our palette to help us do that. Uh, They can be new colors from which we can begin to paint a more vibrant and rich and deep life. So if, as Richard Foster says, superficiality is the curse of our age, then deep living from deep love is the antidote. Our world is hungry for genuinely changed people. Uh, We look out at our world and we long to change humanity and to change our world. But it begins first with changing ourselves. And so let us in this place be among those who believe that the inner transformation of our lives is a goal worthy of our best effort, our best practice. So what are these ancient disciplines? Um, There are so many ancient disciplines of spirituality that we could cover, but over the next few weeks during Lent, uh, we're going to talk about a few of these. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about study, service, uh, fasting, worship. But today, to show that disciplines aren't about, like, achieving things, I thought we'd explore a practice that is the exact opposite of achieving, uh, but yet can accomplish so much in us. Uh, We're going to talk today about about meditation, or contemplation as it's often called in spiritual circles. That's such an incredibly important color to add to our palette. Because in a world of superficiality and hurry, meditation or contemplation um, invites us to slow down and to go deep. And there to begin to listen to a different voice. A voice that's so different from those we hear in our world and often from ourselves. To listen to that vital voice of God that often speaks to us in whispers. Uh, The Russian mystic Theophan, the recluse, uh, said this. He said, to contemplate is to descend with the mind into the depths of the heart, to stand there before the face of the Lord, loving, ever-present, all-seeing within you. It's to begin to encounter God, to listen, and to be loved deep within. And so, Meditation has a rich history in the Christian tradition throughout the centuries, uh, from the desert mothers and fathers of the third and fourth century monastic movement, to mystics like Teresa of Avila or or St. John of the Cross, to modern contemplatives like Thomas Merton or Richard Rohr, to those who were doing purposeful acts of mindfulness within the factory systems as they worked for workers' rights at the turn of the 20th century. All of them saw how important this tool was for a deep and growing relationship with God and for the life that flowed from it. And Jesus himself, in the midst of his like exceedingly busy ministry, always made this habit of withdrawing himself, as it says in Matthew 14, 13, withdrawing himself to these deserted places to be by himself. And though I know Jesus needed a breather because like Peter and all, um, 
It was not just to be away from people. It was to be with God. And so what did Jesus do in those times when he'd pull away from, from Peter um, and go to those desert hills, those deserted hills? He would seek out God. He would listen, commune with God, and then go back into life to live it out. And if Jesus needs to do that, then maybe, maybe we do well to listen to that invitation. So what is it? What is, what is Christian perspective on meditation? Well, meditation, very simply, is, is the practice of seeking to listen to God's voice and to live in response. And I wish it were more complicated than that and more cosmic for those of us who like secret things. But the truth of the matter is, is that the great God of the universe, the creator of all things, deeply desires relationship with you, fellowship with you. And, and meditation is just the act of simply saying yes and listening for God and opening our lives to live it out. Though we don't always immediately associate meditation with Christian practice, uh, the discipline is woven throughout scriptures. The Hebrew word for, words for meditation are used 58 times throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And they talk about you know, different practices like contemplating God's words, uh, reflecting on creation, rehearsing God's works and remembering the faithfulness of God, examining our own lives and, and thinking about how God is moving in our world. And always in scripture, there's this expectation that what we find in that encounter with God will change us in some way, will lead us to new action and new thought. And so there's always this rhythm of hear and do, reflect and respond, to listen and to live it out that undergirds the practice. So Psalm 119 is this like super long psalm that has like hundreds, hundred verses. And it's all about meditating on God and living in response. So Psalm uh, 119, uh, 97, 105 says like, oh, how I love your word. It's my meditation all day long. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so the purpose of that act of meditating and considering the word is to find light to walk our path and wisdom for our feet that we can find in that contemplative encounter. Our faith story and our, our scripture are full of people who, who lived deeply, who heard a deeper voice, it seems, amidst the cacophony of voices in their day, who lived close to the heart of God. But the, the mystery of this is that they, they didn't hear God because they had any special abilities that set them apart from the people around them. They heard God because they were willing to listen. And meditation helps us do that. So the discipline of God-centered meditation uh, differs from other types of meditation that might invite us to simply empty ourselves. That, that's a start. But this discipline is about emptying ourselves, but then letting ourselves be filled with something more. Quieting ourselves so that we can hear something deeper. Detaching so that we can more deeply be attached to the God in whom we live and move and have our being and rest in the one who knows us and loves us more deeply than we even know and love ourselves sometimes. And from that centering place, we have the ability to live and love from the center, from the deep center, creatively. So the 17th century uh, Quaker William Penn wrote this. He said, True contemplation does not turn us out of the world, doesn't remove us from the world, but instead it enables us to live better in it and excites our endeavors to mend it. I love the way they wrote back in the 17th century. 
Hear and do is what he's saying. Listen and live. Reflect and respond. And in Quaker Sunday gatherings, when they get together in a group like this, they were largely silent endeavors. They would be quiet together in stillness. But yet Quakers have been some of the most active and authentic and courageous workers for a just and peaceful world. And that action comes out of that deep trust in something that holds us even when the way is hard. And so meditation isn't about some heady, impractical endeavor. It's rooted in life. And often the insight that we find in meditation is not about the the nature of the universe or the nature of ourselves, but it's simple things about how to walk and live this out, how to better love our partners, maybe mundane stuff about how to navigate a workplace situation. But it allows real places in our lives, in our life, to intersect with God's deep love and send us back out through that encounter into the world with greater perspective and balance as we listen and live more deeply. So how do you how do, you do it? <laughs> how do we do this? How do we meditate and try to commune with the creative God of the universe? Like, where do you even start with that? Well, step one, this is complicated. Step one is you meditate. You do it. Uh, it's impossible to learn how to meditate from a book or from some dude with a microphone up here telling you about it. You learn to meditate by meditating. However, there's, there's a couple of tips that, uh, that we can offer. So like, where and when do you do it? Well, you can meditate on God anytime or all the time, but it's good to kind of find a regular time and a place to set aside where you can be uninterrupted and turn the phone off and, and sit still for a little bit, look out at nature, perhaps. What posture do you take? Well, anything works. Uh, In scripture, you find people lying down or lying prostrate, standing, kneeling, all those show up. But uh, I and and many others prefer to sit, uh, really just because I can do it the longest without my body like yelling at me um, and being a jerk to that whole mind-body-spirit connection. So you can sit in lotus, you can sit in a comfortable chair and just begin to breathe. But regardless of how you do it, where you do it, and when you do it, the aim is to center the attention of yourself, your whole self, your body, your mind, your emotions, your spirit on the God who's ever present with you. So see what helps you do that best and try it out. So what do you do when you meditate? What do you do? So throughout the centuries, contemplatives have spoken of a great variety of ways of listening to God and communing with the creator who loves us. Uh, But a few of those have kind of risen to the top of common practices. For all contemplatives, uh, the practice of meditato scripturarum, which like is a fancy Latin name for meditating on scripture, um, is a central part of the practice. And this is different than Bible study. This is about taking a phrase or a passage and personalizing it and internalizing it, trying to hear it deeply for yourself. Uh, perhaps you might want to meditate on, on Jesus' staggering statement in John 14, 27, where he says, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. And as you meditate on that, it wouldn't be about dissecting the passage or trying to figure out the context, but with each breath and each thought, seeking to receive that peace that Christ gives to us, to enter into it, to hear it spoken truly to us. And somehow in that process, I don't know how it happens, but in the midst of that encounter, so often we stop thinking about 
ourselves in the midst of that, about how we can make ourselves feel more at peace. And somehow we just receive it. We be at peace. We're not thinking about how to act more peacefully in our lives, but instead these acts begin to spring up naturally from us because we find ourselves at peace. God has truly given something to us that we couldn't make happen on our own. So the second method of, of meditation is similar to this, but it, it makes the practice even more essential. It's, it's called centering prayer. It's a practice that's common among Trappist monks and others that seeks to center our thoughts on the presence of God by holding just one word or one image in our minds. Maybe a, a word or an image like light or love or healing, closeness. Maybe a, a picture of the face of Christ and centering our thoughts and ourselves on it and simply try to return to it as often as possible. When your thoughts drift away, just come back to that central image. And it's the practice of trying to just be centered in the presence of God as reflected in that one attribute. Another method that you find a lot is, is to contemplate creation. Romans 1 says that ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that God has made. And so this practice seeks to, to see and reflect on the created order, to pay attention to the world around us and encounter God through it. Maybe watch the wind, how it blows through the trees, like the spirit moves through our world and through us. Reflect on the glorious intricacy and the simplicity of a flower. Maybe meditate on the infinite diversity of creation and God's care for each part of it. And begin with that contemplation that was, for many of the Christian mystics, the first form of it, discovery of God through God's creation. And finally, like a fourth practice I want to lift up is a practice from the Middle Ages that was carried on by the Quakers, and it's called recollection. Recollection. It's a time to be still, to enter this recreating silence, to let the frantic fragmentation of our minds become centered and collected again. It's like running defrag on your mental hard disks in some ways. Old people used to do that. Um, sometimes, sometimes that practice of recollection is, is exercised in a simple motif of this practice of putting your palms down and putting your palms up. And here's how it works. So in the midst of everything that we're carrying in our life, you sit and you be still. You can begin by placing your palms down as sort of a symbolic indication of your desire to hand over and give away all those concerns or anxieties that you may have give them away to God. Inwardly, you might speak something to yourself like, God, I give you my anger toward DeMarcus. Uh, I release my fear of the exam in the morning. I surrender my anxiety over bills. I let go of the frustration I'm feeling right now of trying to find a good babysitter for tonight. Whatever it is that's weighing you down and scattering your thoughts and keeping you from living in that deep reservoir of love, release it. You might even feel that release in your hands. So after several moments of, of surrender, you turn your palms up as a symbol of your desire to receive from God. Maybe you pray something silently like, God, I'd like to receive your divine love for DeMarcus, uh, your peace about the exam, your patience, your joy, whatever it is that you need. 
And having recollected, you just kind of spend the remaining moments in complete silence, not asking for anything, but instead allowing God to commune with you, love with you, love you. And if impressions or directions or actions come to mind, that's great. If not, that's fine too. But we rest in the collecting presence of a God who's the center of everything, who loves you more than you can imagine, who upholds you like a buoyant pool and allowing you to live and move with purpose and power and love, to reflect and respond, to listen and live, to hear and do and be. So when I I think about meditation, I think about uh, when I was first teaching Hudson to swim, when he would get into the water, he, uh, he would flail and kick, expend a lot of energy just trying to fight against it and promptly, of course, sink straight to the bottom. So in order to teach him to swim, we had to first teach him how to float, how to be still, how to be calm, how to trust the water to hold him up rather than himself. And when he could do that, when he could be and trust and rest and be held by something outside of himself, it was then that those strokes through the water could move him powerfully and productively because he wasn't using them to try and hold himself up. Instead, he was using them to move himself in the upholding power of something beyond himself. In some ways, that's kind of what meditation is. It's learning to to still and to rest and to listen, to trust in something beyond ourselves so that we can move powerfully and productively through life. Not spending our energy on keeping ourselves afloat, but on living and loving deeply. That's the beautiful invitation of of contemplation and meditation of of really all the ancient disciplines. An invitation to commune deeply with a God who loves you deeply. To stop and hear a deeper, truer voice amidst all the voices spoken in our world. So meditation is more than a psychological or physiological activity. It's a divine grace. We live in a universe that's full of of the infinite and relational God who delights in relationship and communion with you, who loves you in the depth of your spirit and the truth of who you are. And as the contemplatives have told us for centuries, meditation in all its forms is simply communication between God who is the one who loves and us, God's beloved. The God who loves you and is present with you, who's holding you up like water in whom you are deeply loved. And so today, as we add this first color to our palette, I thought we might learn a little bit by by doing. And and for me, I don't know about you, but sometimes I come to Sunday morning in need of of recollecting, of, of centering myself, of letting God be the center of me again, and finding myself held up by the hands of a good God. So, uh, if you're down for it, I thought we might try a little bit of that Quaker recollection um, practice. We'll do that this week. You can try some things this week. Next week, we'll talk about prayer. And so we'll just sort of add these things to our palette as we go. But before we begin, uh, I just want to pray over us that God would be present with us. And then we'll be still and collect ourselves in the presence of God. God, we thank you for your love for us that you give us these tools that help us kind of break out of the patterns of, of daily life and 
open ourselves more to you. God, these are, are not magical, God, but they are means of putting ourselves under your stream of grace. And so we just ask for all that we're carrying this week, God, that we would, we would open it to you. Let your grace flow over us. Let your love flow over us. Let us no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, our soul, and ourself, that we might know you more, and we might love and live in your deep divine love. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's close our eyes for a moment. Get comfortable and maybe put your feet on the ground. You can close your eyes and begin to breathe. Put your palms down on your legs or wherever is comfortable. With your palms facing away from you, give over those anxieties, those fears, those burdens that you're carrying. They're not for you to hold. these things to you. And when you're ready, turn your palms up. And all those things you just gave away in their place, God wants to fill you with God's presence, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Ask and receive those things God wants to give you.
God who is love, thank you that you meet us where we are, with all we are and all that we carry. And you give us yourself. You give us your peace. God, you give us your spirit. You make us new. Thank you that, that faith isn't about some intellectual experience at all, but it's encounter. God, it's meeting you. And so we just ask that this week that we would see you in a thousand ways. We would meet you in our meditation, our prayer, meet you in the face of, our, of strangers. We would meet you there present with us in ourselves. Collect us back, center us in you. Help us to live out a love, your love. Slow us down, God.
in you this morning. May we find the space and the time to slow down and to acknowledge you and to seek you and to hear you.